Hey, Politicology, wanted to give you a sample of the exclusive conversations we have every week for our Politicology Plus subscribers. So if you want to hear more conversations like this and get the other benefits of being a Politicology Plus subscriber, for example, we have uh, an inbox dedicated just for Politicology Plus listeners to send in their comments and questions and ideas for future episodes. You can head over to politicology.com slash plus and sign up today. Hello, Politicology Plus. Great to talk to you again. So last week, California Governor Gavin Newsom announced that he is launching a new group to fight authoritarianism in red states. He's launching the Campaign for Democracy to push against Republican leaders like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Texas Governor Greg Abbott and their moves on education, abortion, guns, and immigration. Newsom said the work would complement President Biden's expected re-election bid. Uh, the group's mission is to serve as a state-by-state organizing campaign against rising authoritarianism. Their goal is to invest in Democrats from the top of the ticket down to even the most local races. Newsom said, this is about fundamental freedoms and liberties that are under assault. I want to broaden the narrative, broaden the focus, highlight some of the successes, and I want to fundraise for these folks. He made this argument about freedom in a campaign launch video. Let's take a listen. Let's be direct. We can't solve a problem without first identifying it. The problem in our country right now, authoritarian leaders who are so hell-bent on gaining power and keeping it by whatever means necessary that they're directly attacking our freedoms in state after state. That's why I'm launching the Campaign for Democracy. We're going on the road to take the fight to states where freedom is most under attack, where Republican leaders ban books, criminalize doctors, fire teachers, intimidate librarians, kidnap migrants, target trans kids, stoke racism, condone anti-Semitism, force the victims of rape and incest to carry their attacker's baby, where they ignore the will of the people and make it harder to vote and easier to buy assault weapons. They fan the flames of culture wars to distract from the fact that blue states have lower murder rates, better healthcare outcomes, and higher GDPs. We're going to these states and investing in people and organizations where they're fighting back We know we have a big battle coming, which is why we'll help lead the fight to make sure we elect leaders in 2024 who believe in democracy. Our country is facing an existential battle for who we are and who we're willing to become. It's not an exaggeration. That's the truth. What's happening in those red states? It's not who we are. It's un-American. It's undemocratic. And all it takes to fight back is a willingness to stand toe to toe and say enough. That's what the Campaign for Democracy is all about. We're doing this because, well, the future isn't just something that happens to us. It's something we can create. So join the movement. So in, uh, instead of speculating and, uh, and wondering what the goal is. Uh, <laughs> I want to know who wrote that, I, I, I do too. Yeah. So, uh, so we're, we're just going to go straight to the source here. Anthony, what's the boss up to? Well, I just want to clarify, I am a, a, a civil servant, a humble state worker, <laughs> and so I'm not involved in any of the outside. I did take a couple of vacation days in Arkansas, Alabama, and Mississippi, and uh, joined uh, and, and joined the, the first leg of this tour. Um, but look, I mean, I think uh, uh, 
look, Gavin Newsom has never been shy about speaking out. He's he's always you know sought to maximize his platform, whether that was as mayor of San Francisco uh, or as governor of California. And I think he um, you know sees what's happening nationally and is and is concerned by it. I mean, he's he's been very outspoken. Uh, you know, the sort of the repeal of the rights revolution of the last sixty years. Uh, what's happening in in states all around the country, um, and and so uh, he is going to use his voice to continue to tr- to try to organize and mobilize. I think he's also informed by, you know, knowing. Look, you look at the seven of the last eight presidential races. The popular vo- Democrats won the popular vote. You look at the national votes for you know to- tallying up the national votes for Congress. Democrats are routinely ahead, and yet you know we have a majority. You know we have. Uh, uh, Competitively, and we have electoral majorities for for Republicans in in many of these states, and that that didn't happen by accident. That was part of a, a, a concerted effort led by the Koch brothers and others to sort of to looking at state legislatures, you know, and and looking at individual congressional districts. I think sort of um, a more sort of nuanced micro targeting that that and the the end product of all of the of those decades of organizing is you have Speaker Kevin McCarthy, right? I mean, that happens because. Red state legislatures uh, are able to carve up uh, to carve up congressional districts in a way that you know that does not reflect a majoritarian view, and so I think he's um, he wants to help sort of build some infrastructure uh, in uh, in targeted areas around the country, and and also use his voice and platform and try to create an opening for others to to join to you know be more assertive in using their voices and speaking out. Isn't there an argument since you brought up, I mean, I, I really want to talk about the messaging because I think that's what's clever and interesting here. But since you yeah. brought up, since you brought up uh, essentially redistricting, isn't there an argument on the other side of that that's basically Democrats have abdicated organizing at the state and local level and that's why you have these majority, uh, these majority Republican state legislatures. Uh, Democrats yep. have abdicated them in favor of centralized solutions and a focus on national politics? Yeah, absolutely, and I, I so I think that's part of what what uh, this pack is going to be focused on is looking at the subnational level, whether that's uh, you know in high profile state races or or more local as well, and um, you know, and then we see a lot of these sort of culture wars bubbling up through even more local races like school boards and things like that. I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, I think sort of the jury's out on on whether whether uh, they would get involved in, in in races sort of on, on that level, but. Um, but uh, but you know I mean I I think speak speaking out uh, and and giving Democrats and and others a, a lane and an opportunity to to speak out and push back is really what he's focused on. So let me ask you this: What has the reception been like going into these deep red states? What's that both for you for the governor? What's what's um, yeah? What how's that has that been playing? I mean, it, it's been really eye-opening. It's been overwhelmingly positive, you right. know. Um, and I think in a lot of places, I mean, look, we were in bluish cities and in, in red states, right? We were in Little Rock, Arkansas, Bentonville, Arkansas, Jackson, Mississippi, you know, Montgomery, Alabama. Um, these are, and, and and I think there was there's there was uh, you know a lot of sort of gratitude. I think people are concerned that. Um, you know that that they're being forgotten, and there are Democrats in these places. You know, especially in places like Arkansas, that that elected um, blue governors and and you know former presidents who hail from Arkansas. But but you know what's interesting? You look back, and I know you know there's been this realignment of our political parties. But you look at these states, you know, Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama. I mean, there were there were Democratic Democrats in control of the legislature until 2010. 
Mm. And and I mean that really sort of underpins the racial component to all of this, right? This is it was really, you know, for all the talk of Lee Atwater and like Nixon's Southern strategy and then and Reagan and and I mean it really wasn't until after Obama, right? <laughs> until after we elected a black president, that was that was really the final accelerant in this. Mm. And that's where you saw all of these sort of uh, you know, one, the sort of the blue Dixiecrats uh, move entirely to Republican. You know, they're all they're all now solidly Republican states, but there's still Democrats there. Yeah. I think the Democrats that are still there, they're left behind. Um, you know, they want to make sure that they're not forgotten, um, that they're and that there's somebody speaking up for them. And I think um, you know, our, our governor's uh, presence there was was very very well received. Mike, this messaging is interesting to me. Newsom's making an argument that freedom and liberty are under assault from the right. Um, this, is, this came up once before, I think a while back, uh, I think when, when Newsom was first uh, toying with that frame. What types of Republican voters could this actually persuade? How effective do you think that's going to be? Uh, I think it can be persuasive enough. Uh, it's, look, it's not going to broadly change the contours of the Republican Party. But that, I don't think that's what he's trying right. to do. I mean, I right. don't want to want to speak for them, but just as a political profession, I'm looking at this going, this is one, it's very, very smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, it's it's tactical in a way that Democrats are not known for their tactics. I mean, even going back to the Obama administration, the criticism was always they're driving a national strategy and Obama never invested or the administration or his political hands never invested in local or state party infrastructure. And when Obama left, it all left with him, right? right? And so the party was left with nothing. And when you start to look at states like Florida, where there is no Democratic Party infrastructure anymore, they've completely vacated the field in these areas. And I think what's what part of the attempt here is to, one, build infrastructure but two, and again, what I like about the the tactics here is that it's it's first of all it's very it's offense, right. which which we I don't associate with Democrats. Right. Like he's not shrinking from this fight, and Gavin Newsom is probably the only Democrat that has won the culture wars by drawing his saber and charging down the field on his horse and attacking the front lines of the Republicans. That culture wars is where Republicans almost always win. Almost always win because it's easy for Republicans to put Democrats on the defense because they're arguing against a prospective constituency. Democrats are arguing for change, and it's easier to argue for things the way that they are. Change is scary, and it's easy to use those boogeymen. Gavin Newsom, beginning in 2004, you know, when he when he came out as mayor of San Francisco and started acknowledging and saying we're going to allow same-sex couples to marry, said that well, this is just the way we're going to do it. And so whether it's that, whether it's gun control, progressive issues on gun control, whether it's, you know, voting rights access, you you heard in that script him go over the whole litany of issues. Every single one of those was a cultural, social, slash racial issue. Okay, that's not the way Democrats normally approach these fights. And the guys won. Uh, he was winning, you know, 15 years on these issues. And part of it is, I think, rallying the base enough to say, why are we afraid of this? Let's not be afraid of this. Let's charge down the field and let's have the fight on these issues. If they want to fight on these issues, then I'll bring the fight to Jackson, Mississippi. I'll bring the fight to Montgomery, Alabama. I'll bring the fight to Little Rock, Arkansas. And I, again, I think I, I think that's good tactics, j- just politically. Yeah. I also think it's good strategy, and I think he's probably uniquely positioned as a Democrat in this country to be the champion of that fight. If, if look, if 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 Newsom or somebody else had been doing this, 
in the 2020 election, yeah. there was probably no oxygen for a Lincoln project. Right. He probably didn't need That's it because right. we weren't talking about economics. Right. We were, yeah, we, we were talking about these same cultural issues yeah. to peel off college-educated suburban women, uh-huh. and it worked. And it worked again in 2020 too with with the Dobbs decision. So I think we are at a, this inflection point, and I think it's quite profound. Um, where Democrats are realizing they can win on cultural issues, and that's how you vanquish this metastasizing Republican Party that is eating away at the basis of our of our republic yeah. and of democracy. Yeah. That's why it's called the Campaign for Democracy, which I think is a very accurate characterization of what this is. Yeah, it's yeah, Campaign for Democracy, and and, and yet, uh, as you said, all of the things that were mentioned in that uh, clip. We're not about democracy. They were cultural issues. So my question is, Anthony, what's what does success look like for this tour? Um, for for this tour, I mean, I, I think it's I think success looks like like um, like uh, others others speaking out, right, and others joining the fight and sort of giving giving local voice. I mean, he was there raising money for for state parties in this place, and I mean, I just wanted to to mention one thing. You know, this term culture war. I look, we yeah. own it. I mean, I think. You think about democratic culture warriors, and Gavin Newsom's the first name that comes to mind. But I think that term sort of, sort of gives short shrift to to how fundamental some of these things are. I mean, I think you hear the term culture war. I know I do, and it sounds like it's something fringe. It's something that's not sort of fundamental. You know, the culture wars of the of the fifties and and early sixties certainly was was desegregation, right? I mean, this was like, I mean, I mean, so so yes, they're cultural issues, but I think they're but they're. Uh, there are, there are issues that that feel fundamental. I mean, I think there's an urgency. I mean, what was what was also clear, you know, palpable was uh, the the restrictions on abortion in a lot of these states and 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 access to health care. That's real. That's palpable. I mean, the restriction on voting rights. Not only is there a long <laughs> and very recent history on that, um, but but it's real, right? And so and in, and increasingly, when you know when you have people who uh, who can't win on the numbers. Right, and the numbers are are not going to be in their favor. It's not surprising that they become anti-democratic, right? Small D democratic, mm-hmm. uh, and I guess large D democratic as well. Yeah. Um, and and so I mean, so yes, I mean he is he is sort of uh, going on offense and, and engaging on these cultural issues. But but I I just want to make sure that as we talk about it, that it it you know that uh, cultural issues can feel as fundamental and as basic as economics in a lot of ways. Yeah, speak to that point because that reminds me of 2020, Mike. Well, and look, Anthony's not only right, but I, I, I think it's it's bigger than that. I really think this is a profound moment. And I say that because what we have traditionally viewed the culture wars as, as these, these elements of a political debate, it's really, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. A culture war is genuinely a fight for the heart and soul of who we are, and it's a values-based system. About values. It is a belief as foundational as what brought us to civil war, is what are we valuing and what are we not valuing? And sometimes, sometimes those are not reconcilable in a society, especially a pluralistic society. Now, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, we're on the brink of civil war here, but what I am saying is, when you have a blue state governor going into red states and saying this is not who we are, that's pretty damn confrontational. That's openly antagonistic, and there's a, a basis for it. 
It's no different than Eisenhower sending in federal troops to Arkansas and saying, this is not who we are. And that that was a culture war. It wasn't a political battle anymore. It's like, no, we're sending in troops to say this ends now. And sometimes, you know, it's like the famous line in, in the Godfather movies, right? Sometimes you just got to— got to have a war because you got to let the the bad blood out. There's just no, there, there's certain things become irreconcilable and I think that we are at that point in American history um having said that I I think that that you know uh, the good guys as I see them are in a much stronger position and no I don't think this will 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 you know um devolve into you know blue and and gray you know uh our militias fighting state by state but I do believe that we are in for a long, protracted battle about this idea of who America is, how expansive the American idea is, and how limited some people think that it can be and should be as it correlates to you know blood and soil. That's what nationalism is. That's what the Republican Party has devolved into. And then finally, let me say this. You know, 30 years ago, a young Southern governor named Bill Clinton launched the Democratic Leadership Council, and the, the informal campaign theme of his campaign was, it's the economy, stupid. This is the exact opposite of that. This is saying that it's not economics. We are at something much more foundational than that moment. This is literally about who the American people are. And I think that the Democratic Party has needed this voice in its ranks to articulate the values upon which we can then start talking about tax policy and, you know, our regulatory environment and the size and scope of government. We are, we are at the brass tacks. We have stripped the house down to its studs and we're like, what is this? Who are we? And what is the framework upon which we are going to build ourselves in this next American century? And without that foundational fight, uh, you just keep lumbering along the way that we have in a way that is is um, it's it's not sustainable. And I I'm I for one am glad to see it because it's 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 a it's a national effort, but it's also bigger than I think the Democratic Party. I think it's a debate in a way that the country has needed to have with two sides actually debating about what this is. It's more than just politics. It's, it's, it's foundational from a values sense. Yeah. Yeah. And when I, when I see freedom and liberty, uh, my ears perk up and I'm, I, and I, 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 personally, I, I think, okay, tell me more. If that's truly where you're coming from and that's not a tongue in cheek, like, haha, like I'm a democratic governor from California and I want to talk to you about freedom and liberty. Uh, if it's truly where he's coming from, my ears perk up and I say, okay, tell me, Tell me, 100%, tell me more. 100%. And this is, look, this has been a very conscious effort. And I've been, you know, we've been on the state side. This has been a focus of mine too. Do not let the Republicans and in, increasingly this Republican Party define those American terms, freedom, liberty, patriotism. You don't get those. Yeah. You know, at the very least, there's, there's, there are just different visions. Uh, you look, the freedom, the increasingly the Republican vision of freedom comes at the expense of others. It's freedom over, power over, you know, domination. That we have a very different definition of what freedom is. You know, freedom to have access to health care. Yeah, you know, I mean, all, all all the things. And so, and so, I think um, fighting for those terms is important. I think too often the mistake that Democrats make is seeding the framing arguments. Yeah, and that's and that's incredibly important because by then, if you're arguing on their framing and on their terms, you've already lost. 
and I, and one thing that that Governor Newsom has been has been very focused on, and you know, Mike and I have talked about this for years and years. It's like, is you like you need to fight for those terms. Yeah, that that is the and and so if that's a culture war, so be it. But I mean, don't tell me I don't believe in liberty yeah. because I'm a Democrat. Don't yeah. believe I don't tell me I'm not a patriot. A uh, patriot. Yeah. I mean, you can go. I don't know if we can cuss on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. But, I, but, 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 but a big, like seriously, you can go fuck yourself. Because yeah. I mean, and, and but it's incumbent upon us who don't believe in this bastard. What I would argue is a bastardized version of freedom and patriotism to to define a different vision for it and to lay that out and not. And so it's not just saying we're not that. It's defining what we are. And so and getting back to Clinton, right? Not. Yeah. It's not just um, you know. Not just uh, highlighting our our differences and and what makes us unique, but also talking about uh, our common humanity and what brings us together. And I think that has to be a component of this as well. Yeah. I think that's what that there's a hunger for that, and and there's a lot of people who are politically homeless right now. Uh, yeah. You know that that don't feel comfortable in either political party, um, and and I I think it would be wise for Democrats to to create a home for those people. Um, you know, and, and, um, and to focus on, I, I still believe at my core, I want to believe we have a lot more in common, you know, as a majority of this country yeah. and, and want to be able to live together. And so let's find a way to do that and put some of this, you know, mean spirited, othering petty bullshit behind us. This is the language of common, common humanity, identity politics over common enemy identity politics, which are two 100%. vastly different approaches. That's right. uh, and yeah, and I'd, I'd love to see more of it. And actually the way you articulated all of that reminds me of a conversation we had a couple of months ago on the show about, about the American flag as a symbol that Democrats don't seem to fly. And, and I yep. made this impassioned plea to listeners who are Democrats to go buy a flag and fly the flag. You don't have to abdicate that symbol, uh, to Republicans. That isn't, that isn't, American flag is not tantamount to MAGA Republican. And if right. you're afraid of your neighbors thinking that you are uh, a Republican because you're flying an American flag, well, in your words, pardon me, but go fuck yourself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And, and look, and getting back on this tour, I mean, look, uh, the governor and his wife were there with their kids too. And he made a very deliberate decision to do that, right? He wants to teach his kids the history that they're trying to erase. Yeah. And it's important. And, and going going to Central High School, walking into Central High School, going to the Civil Rights Museums in, in Jackson, Mississippi, and Montgomery, Alabama, you know, the Museum of Lynching. I mean, just incredibly moving. But, you know, we walked into Central High School uh, in Little Rock, you know, the, the home of the Little Rock Nine, what, what Mike talked about, you know, Eisenhower sent federal troops, the Al- and uh, the Arkansas National Guard was mobilized, um, you know, in opposition. And we walked in during a passing period, you know, and Central High is a large public high school, 2,200 kids or so. And, you know, in the passing period, it's like any other public high school. Kids of every color, shape, size, walking through the halls, you know, yeah. being kids, being teenagers. And you realize this is what the fuss was all about, you know, 60 years ago. Like, this is what the, we literally had armed troops on both sides fighting over. Um, you know, it, it, it feels ridiculous now, but it's so much part of our history. And learning all that history, you know, learning— and seeing and experiencing that history didn't make me love this country less. It deepens my appreciation for it. it deepens 
um, you know, our ability to become a more perfect union. I mean, that is our, that is our strength. That is what separates us as a society, as a country. And, uh, you know, and, and we need to embrace that. So, um, I think that's the spirit that this entire, uh, this entire pack was, was formed in and, and hopefully it's a conversation that, that, uh, will continue. Well, I'm glad to see it and well said. So thank you. Thank you for being here and speaking to that. 